Hello everyone and welcome back to Portland Film Review Weekly and this limited series we are doing the MCU in review. I'm Devin and I'm here as always with Teddy and we are excited to talk about this week's movie which is the start of the MCU phase two. That's right we are talking about Iron Man 3, the cap to the Iron Man trilogy and the movie that as Iron Man launched the first phase brings us into the post-Avengers Marvel landscape. So, Teddy, how are you feeling about feeling about this? How are you feeling about Iron Man 3? you excited? Yeah, I'm feeling good about Iron Man 3. It's, uh, it's definitely a good one. Um, I definitely do enjoy it way better than Iron Man 2, but the low is pretty... Uh, the low. The bar is pretty low. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's, you know, happy to be in Phase 2. Yes. So uh, some quick facts about the movie before we get into talking about it. Um, this movie came out on May 3rd, 2013, kind of in that time period where the Marvel movies were really hitting up May as a major release platform. It was made on a $200 million budget and made $1.2 billion worldwide, which is notable because why that's less than the $1.5 billion that the first Avengers made. Um, it's a huge step up from what Iron Man 2 made, which was $624 million worldwide, uh, which I note because post-Avengers and into Phase 2, especially the box office returns of the Marvel movies, just keep charting into stupid money territory. <laughs> and <laughs> Iron Man 3 really solidifies that because it is one of the more contentious movies in the Marvel canon in terms of there's a very vocal part of the fan base that hates it, and there's a very vocal part of the fan base that loves it. Um, as you have noted, audience members, if you listen to the last podcast, this is a pro-Iron Man 3 podcast, and so the content within will reflect that. Um, but a lot of that comes down to writer-director Shane Black, who we'll talk about more later. Um, but altogether, it's, I think, safe to say a return to form for the Iron Man trilogy and a really positive step forward into phase two that does some interesting stuff with the Marvel ethos. So before we get into our gems, any broad thoughts on Iron Man 3 you'd like to toss out there, Teddy? Well, I was watching, I just like kept thinking about the, um, just like how different Tony is from the first movie to this movie. Like his whole anxiety thing, I just really related to <laughs> um, because <laughs> You know, anxiety is no fun, and I get it. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed this other side of Tony, and then just, you know, continuing with all the characters that we love and getting to see more of just RDJ being RDJ. So, I was actually just listening to a podcast the other day, uh, shout out to The Big Picture, when they were talking about threequels, and it lined up nicely with me rewatching this and thinking about the third movies in entries because it's like in pure trilogies you can think of it like the beginning the middle and the end and so this third one has to kind of put a cap on a character arc and it does that in a lot of ways with tony because like you're saying we've come so far <laughs> um but also because it exists in the larger mcu framework it's interesting that there's still so much more iron man left for us to experience even though he's not doing it in his own movies so the third movie is always an interesting part of a trilogy and of course a little bit arbitrary in the Marvel Universe where 
even when you're not in your trilogies. You're still in the Avengers movies, and you're still in this and that. But all the same, it is kind of a momentous capstone for Iron Man. Yeah, it's weird that they end his trilogies, like, soul movies so early. Like, I feel it it, it kind of makes me sad because I want more. But, I mean, yeah, obviously he's in other movies, but, like, I want later, I want the better, like, premium Marvel, you know, content with Iron Man. That's what I want, where it's all about him. Like, he deserves that, obviously, but it's fine. They did what they did. It's whatever. Yeah, it's We're getting another Thor. It'll be great. Yeah, right. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, it is fascinating, the timeline on how they just pumped them out. And it's not even like, I mean, I'm sure that that was part of the planning process when um, Incredible Hulk and Thor didn't do as well, that they were like, okay, Iron Man's a solid property. We got to have it lined up to carry on that after Avengers because it's hard to have imagined pre-release that Avengers is going to be as such of a monolith as it was. But who knows? I agree, though. I would have loved an Iron Man 4 maybe even Iron Man 5 that was just like focus on Tony getting his own thing, maybe pull it back a little, have a smaller story. Really just I want yeah. a buddy cop movie with him and Rhodey that's just the two of them doing something, but yeah. alas. That would be amazing. I also want more to like the Pepper and Tony story. Like there's a lot that gets brought up in later movies that we'll talk about that never really gets explained it's just kind of like oh this happened but we're just gonna keep going and i wish there was more explanation for like all of that time because there's so much time between iron man 3 and endgame and there's just like so much lost in terms of like his specific story itself yeah we really don't get that same check-in that we get with everyone else and yeah I mean, I guess you get like this Avengers emeritus status when he's coming in as the mentor figure with Peter Parker and he's, he's slotting in everywhere. But it is, it's very much that point that he becomes a supporting figure, except mm -hmm. for like Civil War and Endgame really is kind of his movie in a lot of ways, but he's sharing space with so many people, so... Yeah. I don't know. I mean, Kevin Feige, if you want to come and let us plan out a roadie, Pepper, Tony, trio movie, we're here. We're ready. <laughs> Honestly, who knows if they can even afford RDJ anymore, let's be real. Like, yeah, he was true. getting so much money for, like, no time at all. Yeah. Like, ridiculous amounts. So, you know, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, he's just off busy making a movies like Doolittle about constipated dragons so uh who knows what else is in his future <laughs> just why just why rdj do so much better Badger. 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 Badger, guys I put a memo in the toilet come on so after having a divergence from our categories last week for avengers like we said to kind of hit up that new avengers formula we are returning to our gems, PFR edit, quotes, and horny corner structure. And of course, that means we begin here with our gems. So Teddy, tossing to you, why don't you start us off? What's your, uh, what's your first gem? 
My first gem would have to be just Ben Kingsley's like whole performance. Like the Mandarin is such an amazing character and Ben Kingsley just like knocks it out of the park the way and I know that one of your gems is the whole Mandarin kind of arc and we can so I won't talk too much about that itself. Um, but the way that he's able to just go from like the super serious Mandarin and you'll never see me coming to like the goofy Trevor. Well I wouldn't go in there for 20 minutes. <laughs> it's just amazing and like whenever he comes on screen I just get so excited and like I would say he just like steals the show. Um, which is hard when it comes to being on screen, like competing with RDJ and being able to like steal like scene after scene is so impressive, but he does such a good job. So for sure, a huge gem is Ben Kingsley. Just A plus. He deserved an Oscar. Maybe not, but you know, it's fine. Yeah, that would have been quite a thing. Wins his first Oscar for playing Gandhi, wins a second Oscar for uh, playing Trevor Slattery. <laughs> That would be incredible. <laughs> no, I, I totally agree. And I'll use this to kind of transition into my gem about the whole twist around his character. Um, but starting with just echoing what you're saying, I think it's, I mean, you get a dramatic actor like Ben Kingsley who is known for these really heavy roles. So you're primed to think of him as playing the, you know, you'll never see me coming Mandarin who's just doing all of his... <laughs> wild stuff um and then when you get the twist what are you what are you a decoy you're a double right well i'm not going to study no absolutely not don't hurt the face i'm an actor you got a minute to live fill it with words just a role the mandarin see it's not real it's wild and the reason i love the twist which sends in to write the comedic performance um, is that the Mandarin is a super contentious character in the comics because he was a character that was created initially in 1964 and from that point was just a horribly racist caricature of a Chinese man. Uh, oh. Yeah, it's a <laughs> early oh, <no>. comics tough. <laughs> Um, you know, as a lot of characters when they were introduced, Marvel did not have a great standing in terms of creating a diverse set of characters that actually stood on their own. And the Mandarin, as an original Tony Stark villain, was this character that played into all of, especially the early Hollywood stereotypes of this kind of orientalized, Far East figure that was meant to be scary because they weren't the Western <coughs> figure. And that carried on in the comics for far too long. Um, and so there was always a lot of conversation about, well, how will the Mandarin be used in the MCU because he's such an important villain in terms of just content wise, but it would be terrible to use him in the same way because that kind of perpetuation of stereotypes and racism is just unacceptable. And so when Ben Kingsley comes in, you're like, okay, 
but now he's kind of a Middle Eastern character, which is just as bad and doesn't help us at all. So then the moment when you're like, actually, this is a doofus goofball British actor with an issue concerning drugs and all sorts of things, and he is just playing a part to be the quote-unquote Mandarin while the actual villain is Guy Pierce's Aldrich Killian, who, right, is just this giant white CEO with some real American psycho Christian Bale vibes. Look at that subtle off-white coloring. The tasteful thickness of it. Oh my God. It even has a watermark. It's all about producing fake terror to drive up prices and have control. And I remember at the time there was all of this comics fans uproar like, but he's not the real Mandarin. And I'm like, yeah, he's better <laughs> because he's not a racist caricature and is an improvement in a way that updates the character for, you know, well, for any age. It should have started out in a more sensitive way. And now we get this one that is all about subverting the expectation and so combining that just massively brilliant twist with what Ben Kingsley then does with the role and all the layers about having a British actor pretending to be a Middle Eastern terrorist and you know it comments on I think all the old castings of brown face and yellow face and all these things that happened in Hollywood um, and I think it it has just aged incredibly well as yeah. a twist and every time I revisit the movie, I love it more and more. We are both Marvel nerds, but I'm a little deeper in the Marvel sauce at times. And so the Mandarin, in terms of the figure more in line with the original comics, will be making a Marvel Cinematic Universe appearance. He has been confirmed for Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, um, because that's a story very much based in the Mandarin. And so I'll be interested to see how that movie handles him. And of course there was some retconning set up because there was a Marvel one-shot short film released in 2014, a year after this movie, that showed Trevor Slattery in prison um, and then a man who came after him saying that the real Mandarin was not very happy about the way that he had pretended to be him. So there's some uh, bureaucratic corporation retcon mumbo jumbo happening and uh, we'll see what happens there. but. As far as Iron Man 3 goes, Ben Kingsley, Trevor Slattery is my Mandarin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Definitely. Although I am all for the twist where the handsome, blonde, like, man is the villain. I'm all for that because it's just, it's just you know, it hits home. It's just like, yes, like, it's always the man you don't expect because you get caught up in so much and... I won't go on because then we just get into Teddy's life. And so that's just no fun. <laughs> uh, so. su surprise, everyone. This is becoming a therapy podcast. <laughs> um, we lulled you in with Marvel, and now it's just going to be self-reflection, existentialism, and dating horror stories. I mean, I have been giving, like, little, like, hints there, here and there that, uh, you know, I don't always have the best taste in men, but it's fine. It's fine. I'm fine <laughs> can can confirm having uh been on that roller coaster with my beloved teddy um but before it gets sidetracked 
any further, what is your second gem now that we've handled the beauty of the Mandarin and Ben Kingsley? Um, my second gem would have to be um, just the whole relationship between Tony and Harley. Breathe! Don't move. You got me. Nice potato gun. Barrel's a little long. Between that and the wide gauge, it's gonna diminish your FPS. I absolutely love the whole part of the movie when he's in ten when Tony's in Tennessee and like Harley's the only one who's like helping him and him trying to deal with this like little boy who is kind of in awe of him but also doesn't really know who he is which is weird to me because like how do you not know who Tony Stark is like you know who Iron Man is but you don't know Tony Stark but that's fine um and it's just it's such a cute relationship but what I love most about it is that Tony doesn't like he doesn't t like stop his sarcasm he just like somehow forms it like into suiting his and Harley's relationship and then Harley's also able to throw it right back like Harley has so many amazing like lines where he jokes about how his dad must have won the lottery because that was like he didn't come back after like seven years and then when Tony's leaving Tennessee and Harley's trying to guilt trip him and being like I'm cold wait you're guilt tripping me aren't you I'm cold I can tell you know how I can tell because we're connected. So we shot. The Tennessee part has its like ups and downs. I always enjoy when Harley and Tony are together and just have this like, it's not quite like a father-son relationship. It's more of like the little annoying brother and like the, um, like the, yeah, little annoying brother and then the like, older brother who thinks he's superior but still like gets showed up by his younger brother all the time um and it also sets up tony's like his kind of his ability to interact with kids later on um which is huge and so yeah i just uh, i love harley and tony and just everything about them it's just wonderful <laughs> it's so great it one of my favorite Robert Downey Jr. line deliveries in the whole thing is in that guilt tripping moment at the end where he's like, and you know how I know? Because we're connected. And then he drives That's away. So good. And it's, they're so funny. And I mean, um, the young actor who plays Harley is this guy named Ty Simpkins. And I can't really say that I've seen him in anything else that he made an impact on me with, but as we've established, it's hard to go toe-to-toe -to -toe comically with Robert Downey Jr., and especially when you're a kid and you settle into that, and they give it back and forth. Um, I think it's brilliant, and it's so funny. And like you, I, the Tennessee parts are actually some of my favorite parts of the movie, apart from the Ben Kingsley, just because... And I'll get back to this a little when we get to the PFR edit with one of my few criticisms of the movie. Um, but I love the taking Tony away from the suit entirely like this, I don't know, this arc that allows, it's like, yeah, he was Iron Man and we've seen him be Iron Man in the Avengers, 
but now he's going to be Tony Stark and have to be the mechanic and have to tinker and like do all of this stuff. And I really like that. And Harley unlocks yeah. that in a way that is also, again, kind of this dry run for the Peter Parker, Tony Stark dynamic. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure that this is the movie that gave the idea that everyone was like, hey, we can do this again, but it can be Spider-Man. <laughs> genius just genius thinking yeah um yeah i yeah i just i don't know (laughs) i don't have anything else to say great um and i don't know for me all of this harley and tony stuff and how taking tony away from just being the suit all the time that connects to what is my second gem which is the exploration in this movie of Tony's trauma. And you touched on it earlier talking about his anxiety. I think that what stands out to me in so many ways in this movie is how Iron Man 3 pauses to think, okay, there was just a city-flattening battle that included this man who until a few years before was so self-obsessed he couldn't imagine helping anyone else to somebody who's taking a nuke through a wormhole (laughs) like that's gonna have a profound psychological impact on someone and the way that this movie scales it back so that we get conversations with him and Rhodey about it so we get conversations with him and Harley and him and Pepper. I love you, I'm lucky. But honey, I can't sleep. You go to bed, I come down here, I do what I know. I tinker. Threat is imminent, and I have to protect the one thing that I can't live without. That's you. Considering his trauma, while of course, you know, prepped for Marvel blockbuster, where we're not getting as much of it in-depth um, psychological thing as we could in something like, I don't know, Requiem for a Dream or any of that really dark stuff. They do it in a really thoughtful way. Um, and at times a really stunning way. I think when he has his first anxiety attack on screen and he walks out into the suit and he just has this like, check the heart, you know, he, he's freaking out. Check the heart, check the, check the, is it the brain? No sign of cardiac anomaly or unusual brain activity. Okay, so it's poison? My diagnosis is that you've experienced a severe anxiety attack. And I think of that too, you know, somebody also who has experienced a lot of anxiety and is thankfully now happily, you know, getting it treated. Um, There is that moment of just the sheer panic when you're like, I don't know what's happening with my body. I don't know what's happening with my mind. And one, RDJ captures that incredibly well. And the movie lets him go with it. and then just really, really affecting moments, like when he's having the nightmare and then the suit almost kills Pepper. And it's just this, it pauses to allow some more darkness and some more reflection on it to come in. And it doesn't come at the sacrifice of any of the humor, or any of the briskness that we're used to. And I think that that's just a huge testament to the writing that Shane Black put in who I'm not talk about more on because spoiler alert, he is my final gem and I'll talk about him more in a minute. Um, but yeah, the, the kind of the black hole of anxiety 
and trauma at the center of Tony in this movie, I think is, is really an incredible device and really true to the character. So huge fan of that choice. Yeah. I also, um, when I re when I, you know, obviously I've seen this movie a few times. Um, and it, this is this time watching was the first time that I kind of saw where he's having the nightmare and the suit comes and like, you know, not attacks Pepper, but like kind of scares her. Power down. And I think it's a really good nod to kind of showing P like he has PTSD in a way that's like very um like very <laughs> um I'm gonna start over. Um I think that having the suit, you know, kind of attack Pepper the way it does, it's very similar to a lot of other scenes that you'll see of soldiers with PTSD um, where they you know are having a nightmare and all of a sudden they're attacking their partner who's in bed with them and they don't realize um, and that and the way that they use the suit instead of having Tony does it really is so perfect for him because he really is it's all about the suit um, and obviously it's less so about the suit now but you know, it's kind of the development of him being separated from the suit. And I think it's a really, it's a really interesting way for them to like explore the PTSD kind of aspect of his anxiety. Could not have said it any better myself. But the doubling, the split, the suit and Tony, it's, it's A plus stuff all around. So Capping this off for you, what is your final gem? So I kind of had a few potential gems in my head because Ben Kingsley and then the Harley and Tony relationship were the ones that really stood out. And so I was trying to figure out what the third one should be. And I kind of have just decided that I'm going to go with the part that makes me laugh the hardest, which is happy as Tony's security guard or not Tony security guard, Pepper security guard, like at the beginning of the movie. Um, the scene when he's walking around, like going badge to everyone, literally <laughs> makes me cry laugh every time because he's just so good at it. And when he's FaceTiming Tony and it's just like his forehead, it just kills me. Hello? Is this forehead of security? What? You know, look, I got a real job. What do you want? I'm working. I got something going on here. What? Harassing interns? Let me tell you something. You know what happened when I told people I was Iron Man's bodyguard? They would laugh in my face. Like, just that whole, like, bit of, you know, being in the office, um, happy, being suspicious of Killian, um, and trying to, you know, tell Tony, and Tony just, like, not paying any attention and being like, you're kind of being an idiot. Um, and also happy getting proud when pepper tells him that like workplace complaints have gone up by like 300 percent or something like some crazy number and he's like oh great like thanks and she's like no that's not a good thing <laughs> um and it's just he, john favreau just does such a good job of like i don't know how he stays serious in those moments but he just like sells it so well and just shows how like like 
how serious Happy takes things that really don't need to be taken seriously and how like full of himself he is and like so self-important. Um, so yeah, I can't, I can't not have that as my gem because I wish there was more of Happy in this movie um, because there's just so much that could have been there. And obviously he is a big part of it with the like few scenes that he has, but I just, I could watch a whole movie of him being like head of security of Stark Industries. Like I could, I would watch a whole movie of that <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah, Favreau continues his MVP streak of just turning in some role. I mean, of course, this is the first Iron Man movie that he wasn't in the director's chair for. And it is, I love that they still find a way for him to be a major part of it. And of course, you know, I can always use more happy. Um, but even just like the beats where it's like, you know, Tony makes sure Downton Abbey is on. And then when he wakes up in the end, and he's just <laughs> oh. watching it. He, he's like, the nurse is like, what's going on? And he's like, no, like, look, so funny. So good. It's I great. actually restarted rewatching Downton Abbey because of this <laughs> Well, happy I was like, you know fun. what? I'm going to rewatch this because of happy. Thank you. <laughs> you know the things marvel give you it just just continues so much yeah it's amazing <laughs> <laughs> well the, the happy bit actually segues nicely into my final gem which i i flagged up earlier but i think that having something interesting to do with happy even though Favreau is in the director's chair does come back to a lot for me the way that shane black as writer director Car wrote the script with Drew Pierce, but this is very much a Shane Black special, so I'm going to focus on him. Um, I think that so much of what we're talking about in terms of the humor, the twists and subversion, the unexpected directions things take, come back to Black. <laughs> Look what I did there. I didn't even mean to. Ugh, I'm so proud of my punny Good self. Good job. Thank you. Good job. <laughs> um, but for people who don't know who Shane Black is, Shane Black started his career as one of the first you know second stage of hollywood in the 70s 80s blockbuster screenwriters and that happened because he wrote the lethal weapon screenplay in 1987 also and of course wrote lethal weapon 2 in 1989 and so was responsible for the lethal weapon franchise um which i think actually plays a lot into the tony character here because people who aren't familiar with lethal weapon uh mel gibson's character is someone who is dealing with a lot of grief and trauma and navigating that as this kind of unhinged figure and he's a very different figure than tony stark but some of that humor mixed with darkness um is kind of where shane black started his career so bringing that in here makes a lot of sense um and just some other credits right shane black read the last boy scout last action hero one of my personal favorites, The Nice Guys from 2016, Russell Crowe, Ryan Gosling, one of the best comedies of the 21st century. At me if you disagree, I'll defend it. Um, but kind of this important movie for leading to Iron Man 3 is he wrote and directed a movie called Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which came out in 2005 and which starred Robert Downey Jr. And that movie, in a lot of ways, capped off the comeback run that Robert Downey Jr. had because before that, his real last significant credit 
was Wonder Boys in 2000. And then he was in some music videos and he was in some movies. He had a run on Ally McBeal, but that was before television really meant anything for a major actor in terms of what it means today. And so Kiss Kiss Bang Bang in 2005 proceeds Good Night and Good Luck. And then he has A Scanner Darkly, which is, you know, not a huge hit, but is loved. And then Zodiac and then Charlie Bartlett, and then Iron Man happens. So, right, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is this really important movie and creates this relationship and then brings to the floor this writer-director who is known for incredible quips, writing great action, and there's a lot of incredible action in this movie. Um, I think especially when Tony without the suit, which is very important to me because I'll talk about my problems with the suit action later, Um, but when he breaks into the AIM mansion without the suit and does all these little like things. It's just, it's great to see Robert Downey Jr. doing that action stuff. And that's right in line with things out of Lethal Weapon, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, all of that. And I think that Shane Black has a vision for this movie and through and through with of course some of the corporate mandated giant CGI fights and beats to set up stuff whenever we're not in the stuff that is very clearly Marvel needed this to happen, it's some of my favorite Iron Man stuff of any movie. Um, And so I think the peaks of this movie are some of my favorite Marvel stuff because of Shane Black's approach to it. Um, The movie, I think, because of moments that we'll get to, right, it doesn't quite hit like the Ragnarok high or the Winter Soldier high. For me, but but it gets really fucking close, and I give a lot of that to Shane Black's stewardship. Um, now that I've gone on my soapbox about Shane Black, side question: Have you ever seen Lethal Weapon, Teddy? I have not actually. I would recommend. I also recommend all have... of our viewers. <laughs> listeners. I haven't seen a lot of the like old school kind of original like action movies, you know. Um, that's definitely something that my dad has been pushing me on. So, uh, he made me watch the Terminator for the first time, um, which I was very confused about, but that's, <laughs> we could talk about that in a different podcast. Um, so yeah, I, that's definitely something also watched Die Hard for the first time recently. You know, I got a lot of catching up to do. Oh you my know, God. It's fine. You just named so many important movies to me, <laughs> which is it's just great. And the lineage from all those movies, I think, while Iron Man 3 is by no means an 80s action movie, <laughs> Black brings, I think, some of the sensibilities to it. And it suits the movie well. So hats off to you, Shane Black. And uh, one big old yippee Kaye motherfucker for the, uh, the action stands <laughs> listening. Badger. 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 Badge, guys. I put a memo in the toilet. Come on. Well, now that we've done away with our happy gems, and while there are, for me, not a lot of big issues with this movie, there are some things that stand out which keep it out of that highest echelon of Marvel projects for me, like just barely on the next tier because of some of the choices that are made. So I'm curious, Teddy, for you, what goes into the PFR edit for Iron Man 3? Um, so one of the things that kind of stood out for me this time around watching 
um, which just kind of Pepper's character again. Um, I like used to think that like this movie was such a like kind of redemption story for Pepper. But as I was watching it, she's so inconsistent. Like at the beginning, she's so strong. Like she's that amazing Pepper who puts up with Tony's shit and like doesn't let him get away with anything. And then the middle of the movie, she's kind of back to the like whiny damsel in distress Pepper, which is just disappointing because you know she's so much better. But thankfully, you know, they bring her back and she kicks ass at the end. If they hadn't, I would have been so mad. But like that moment for Pepper, I think it's just so important. And God bless that. Um, but again, I was watching this and I was thinking, you know, if you were watching all of the Iron Man movies, honestly, even just one, and you did a drinking game, I'm all about the drinking games. <laughs> and you took a, either you took a sip or like, I don't know how much she would drink, but anytime she just says Tony and nothing else. <laughs> just Tony. It kills me how many times she just says it. And it's like, sometimes it's in a like, Tony! And then other times it's like, Tony. Just say something else. Like, I don't know. Ugh, yeah. But I mean, yes, she did get redeemed at the end, but. I was so I get so excited at the beginning every time I watch this and I'm like, yeah, Pepper, like so great. And then in the middle I'm just like, ugh, her again, just being having to be needed to be saved and just like all that jazz. Just uh, ugh. <laughs> yeah. They never quite figured out how to do pepper pots perfectly no. over the course of a full movie. For all of the great pepper moments we have. It's uh there's an inconsistency. It is a shame. Um, but at least it gave us Gwyneth Paltrow in press, not realizing that she was in the Spider-Man movie, which is a clip we'll get to at some point, but is an iconic moment because even Gwyneth Paltrow is not fully in on Pepper Potts, which is really, yeah. really iconic. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would echo those issues. Um, and I would also kind of, mix in with that I think that I am glad that she gets that final moment in that final battle um which is for me a peak in an otherwise arguably my least favorite part of the movie which is the final battle because I find most of the action in this movie that concerns Tony wearing the Iron Man suit or suit centric action to be truly boring and just visually unimaginative un, ooh, visually unimaginative and it feels like those were the moments that Shane Black phoned it in a little bit um, which you know it's it's pretty par for the course there's nothing bad about the suit action but it's just it's uninventive. It just kind of hits the marks and really, for me, stands in opposition to the inventiveness that's going on in every other point of the movie that in terms of character, in terms of writing, in terms of just the non-suit action. Um, it seems pretty obvious to me that Black wasn't as interested in that. And that's the 
as I think I said earlier, the corporate mandated CGI showdown has to happen. Um, and even when the mansion gets blown up and it's just kind of one giant explosion of rubble and sparks and it just, those are the moments when I roll my eyes on a rewatch, right? Because it just kind of washes over you the first time and it happens, but then when you pause and you're watching it more, I'm like, ah, this could have been so much better and so much more interesting. And I know that this is something we both talked about, which is another nitpick for me is in terms of the villains then that he is facing off against, like the rules around how the AIM experimental people like what kills them, what hurts them, their mortality is super questionable and was laughable to me in terms of the stakes of like, what, so you can get your face blown off, but you're fine. But then like if the suit explodes or you drop it, like what, what? It doesn't make sense. Like it just, the whole thing's so inconsistent and I don't understand like, why does this kill one of them? But then like, Especially at the end where Killian, like, emerges out of that, like, huge explosion. What? Like, how? I don't, I don't understand at all. And, yeah, it's just so confusing. It's just very confusing. It really is a, I think for me, it's probably my biggest issue with the movie. Like, I can get over the CGI stuff in terms of the suit stuff not being as interesting because like it's fine whatever <laughs> it holds up uh, but it doesn't look bad it's just not interesting but that this when the stakes are so movable when you're like oh okay okay so they're really hard to kill he's gonna have to go for something special and it's like actually just like enough suits shooting enough stuff and it's gonna be fine and i don't know it takes it away and you know you could make the argument that it's like, yeah, it doesn't matter, so why does it have to matter? But I don't buy that because I think that it takes it away. And on the science side, because we're just going down the science rabbit hole here, um, Tony taking the shrapnel out at the end. I don't, yeah, like how did he suddenly come to that like conclusion? Like what? when was he like oh wait I can do this now like I don't understand and then just going back to the like other you know regeneration aspect it seems like they were trying to do the whole super soldier thing but in a way that was I mean I'm not saying the whole super soldier arc makes a lot of sense all the time when they're because there are so many times when things hurt like Steve but then other times when they don't, and I'm just like, what? Like, what? Um, so I, yeah, so it's just, it feels like they were trying to do that, but just had no idea how to do it. Just no idea. Yeah, the, the approach to stakes and science in this movie is dubious at best. Um, and that's unfortunate. But, hey, mm -hmm. I still love it. Um, the last thing that I don't love, though, is, and we didn't talk about this off mic, so I don't know your feelings about this at all, but I'm going to drop it in. Um, this movie contains my least favorite after credit scene in the entire MCU, because when it's revealed that Tony is basically supposed to have been telling this to Bruce Banner, and then 
they undercut all of this really beautiful emotional reckoning about his anxiety and his trauma by Banner having fallen asleep for it and like use an after credit scene to turn some of it into a punchline. I'm like, bro, fuck off. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when I watched it, I was like, oh, this is just funny because it's like Bruce and Tony being Bruce and Tony. But when you put it that way, yeah, it's it's not cool. Like you could have done something so much better. Like I guess it's kind of trying to develop Tony and Bruce's relationship more, but there are other ways you could have done that. Yeah, I mean, I I think at the end of the day, there's so much more about this movie that works in a really high-performance way that it seems like we're on the same page in other ways that the stuff we have issues with in this movie just stop it from reaching its full potential in a way that it doesn't necessarily tank the movie or sink it right in the way that Iron Man 2 was just sunk by so many different things. (laughs) Iron Man 3 is a really fucking good movie, that performs and just slips into like you know b plus a minus territory because like they don't stick all the landings and that's still a lot better than a lot (laughs) yeah so and a great way to kick off phase two yeah and uh can't wait for uh thor dark world coming up oh yeah it'll be fun to have a bad one again feels like it wasn't that long ago that we had one but you know it's fine it's it's fine uh so excited so excited badge 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 guys i put a memo in the toilet come on well here we are at our quotes and i know for me at least i've touched on a lot of the moments that i think are quotable but nonetheless there are always more to talk about and we can at least chat more directly about some of the great lines that came out of these dynamics and exchanges. Um, but before we get into that, I have to cede the floor for the obligatory Jarvis check-in um, because once again, Paul Bettany brings the heat in limited moments here. So Teddy, why don't you, why don't you speak on your, your Jarvis hive for a few minutes? <laughs> so, Yes, as we know, I am a big Paul Bettany stan. We love him. Um, so I, I was, I will say, I am a little disappointed in the lack of like truly great Jarvis quotes, but obviously there are some. And um, one of my favorite ones that's just very in par with Jarvis is when Tony is trying on the Mach 42 for the first time. And it's like working out and then all of a sudden it just, I forget exactly what happens, but he, it just like all comes apart and Jarvis and his perfect delivery, you know, monotone, sarcastic way just says, As always, uh, a great pleasure watching you work. And it's just perfect Jarvis, like done, no more, throw it all out, throw the rest out. Um, so thank you for that. Jarvis, just the one, the only needed one. Yeah, it's a, it's a real heat check moment. <laughs> it's like Jarvis really doesn't show up for most of this because he's literally iced out and out of power for so much of it. Um, though I, I would add that the moment later when Harley has gotten him back online and he's struggling to say things and explaining to Tony how he does fine and he gets to the end of the sentence and says the wrong word. <laughs> Uh, it's some other great Paul Bettany voice work 
um, and leads to the funny moment about Tony thinking that Miami is wrong, but it's actually correct. And so there's some good quippy dialogue there. But yeah, man, it's just yeah. Paul Bettany brings it. Yeah. I feel like it's kind of a trade-off where you either can have a lot of Jarvis or you can have, like, fewer suit scenes, you know? There's kind of... You can't have, like, both. You have to have, like, one or the other, um, which is unfortunate. Well, not one or the other. You have to have them together. Sorry. <laughs> you can't have Jarvis without the suits. Anyways, you got you know what I was... You know what I meant. You get your drink. Um thank you thank you you're picking up what i'm putting down thank you so much yes ma'am um i don't know why we went southern there we haven't had a lot of bad voice work today so i guess i had to get it in um but speaking (laughs) of bad voice work which isn't bad voice work but was me doing bad voice work earlier in the podcast everything that ben kingsley (laughs) says as the mandarin um and then also once he is trevor two great voice performances and just it even though he ends up twisting and not being the mandarin in terms of great villain lines the are you ready for your next lesson series of things like it's just huge over-the-top villain stuff and kingsley sells it it's just it's great and then of course once he's trevor just the moment he introduces it. And he's like, who are you? Um, uh, I'm Trevor, uh, Trevor Slattery. It's just, <laughs> it's incredible when he's walking out of the bathroom and he's like, oh, you're not going to want to go in there. It's... And the, the way he's able to like go in and out of the Mandarin voice too, where all of a sudden he like starts quoting the Mandarin and then he goes back to being Trevor. Yes, yes, his think tank thinked it up. Uh, the pathology of a serial killer. The manipulation of Western iconography. Ready for another lesson? Blah, blah, blah. Just amazing work. Again, A++. <laughs> Truly an inassailable performance from Ben Kingsley, and we love him for it. Um, but of course, then before we get to the comical Trevor Slattery, the, the moments when Tony is reacting the mandarin early on um my favorite tony quote in terms of just like pound for pound memorability in this is when after the explosion has happened and happy is in the hospital and tony's out front and the reporters are going for him and he gives this kind of dramatic monologue about you know so here's a holiday greeting i've been meaning to send to the mandarin and we get a bit but it's this part in the middle where he goes. I know you're a coward, so I've decided that you just died, pal. I'm gonna come get the body. And it's like, Tony doesn't get a lot of over-the-top action hero lines. So when he gets them, I enjoy it. And that's like very much for me a Shane Black. You could have pulled that out of Lethal Weapon and it would have fit right in there. Um, And so I like that Black puts his stamp on it. But, of course, what we come for in terms of quips is always the humor. And there are some, no, there are no shortage of giggle-inducing lines in here. So any ones you want to rip off real fast in terms of things, maybe not on the uh, the Crocs level, but that made you giggle? So um, right after um, 
the fight scene in Tennessee when um, Tony defeats um, like you know the two villains, and he just says, "You like that Westworld?" Just it's just like. I'm sure that as time goes on, people won't understand it as well. But like for people who watched Westworld and like know Westworld, like that was just perfect. It was just perfectly delivered, like so clever, just so good. Yeah, it's great. In that scene too, when we get the whole, you walked right into it, I've dated hotter girls than you. It's not even that line, but it's the whole exchange around like it's a terribly corny line and the movie knows it's a really terribly corny line and it makes fun of the line. <laughs> in the same time, I like that we get both of those things in the same scene. And I totally agree. The Westworld one always makes me laugh. <laughs> my, my favorite giggle line, though, in the whole movie is when Tony is breaking out of his aim stuff and there's a lot of going back and forth there but then once there's one goon left and then he's at him and the goon like stops and it's like honestly i hate working here they are so weird it's so good it's like this is ridiculous i'm out <laughs> it's like it's also like what i imagine whenever we have those moments where like there are a bunch of you know nameless kind of faceless goons like that are just there to basically be killed or beaten up by the hero i'm always like mm -hmm. where does some of the blind loyalty come from like not all these people can actually be totally committed to the cause i like that there's a guy in here who's literally like i'm out man like iron man's blowing people up i don't want to be a part of it anymore and i love that because it's just it's a great beat it's one line they don't milk it too much. They just let it happen, and mm -hmm. we get a great. They also, I feel like, yeah, I feel like it also set up for them using that later down the road because that does happen like other times in um, the other movies, and like it's just every time I'm just like, thank you for this. Like this is so much more realistic. Like thank you. <laughs> Badger. Badger. Badge, guys. Put a memo in the toilet. Come on. Well, everyone, I hope you're ready because here we are once again in the horny corner, and uh, we got some we got some good juice today to talk about. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it right to Teddy because I'm really starting to wonder about Teddy's taste in Marvel Men, um, which we you will probably realize quite quickly. It's part of a trend today. But Teddy, why don't you tell me? Who, who from this movie really got you going? <laughs> um, I'm just going to admit it, and I'm proud that Guy Pierce was just chef's kiss for me. Just, we love a smart asshole who's also hot. Like, we just love it. It's, mm, we love it. And as uh you as devin said you will start to notice and you probably started noticing with my uh, love for loki this trend i have it'll it, it's only gonna get worse i'm just gonna warn you now it gets worse so <laughs> so so if we're developing your marvel type it, it seems mm -hmm. that all you need is to be a megalomaniacal mass murderer <laughs> and teddy's Jeez. like yeah, baby, let's go. 
when you put it that way it sounds so bad but also it's kind of true <laughs> oh my goodness i need to rethink my choices in life oh man okay i will just i will say in real life i do not go for murderers okay let's that we're just make aware that clear of. that that yeah that we're aware of i do not so before you go spreading rumors that Teddy's into murderers, let's not. Let's just not, okay? <laughs> I mean, I'll give you, I will give you that Guy Pierce wears the hell out of every suit in this movie. Um, Guy Pierce is a great looking man who I can't, I can't quite understand why he's not a bigger movie star than he is. Um, though, shout out for his work on the recent Mayor of Easttown because, man, he brings it back. And I would like Guy Pierce to be in more things once again. But anyway, yeah, I mean, he's definitely your type. Um, having having experienced the psychopathy that is some of the, the men you have chosen in the real world, this charts. Um, but, you know, shout out to you for living your life out loud and supporting... <laughs> mass villains when it comes to you know just looking for the sugar daddy and i'm happy <laughs> oh, for you i'm happy for you um i really uh, guess i can't in this case make too much money though because my horny corner entry is rebecca hall as maya hansen um who at least has a redemption arc in this movie you know i'm gonna say at least like you know she doesn't end as a, a flaming ball of hatred um trying to but like Hatred is sexy. Oh boy. You heard it here <laughs> first, everyone. I think that'll be the, the first PFR merch. It's just going to be Teddy's face and hatred is sexy. A little winking. Winking, I smiling on saying it. that. Oh my. Oh, oh man. My. Well, Marvel brings out another side of me. It really does. <laughs> I mean, in terms of Rebecca Hall, what can I say? I mean, as far as her character goes, right, we have a brilliant brunette who is a little too into her work in terms of you know sacrificing morality to be the best at what she's at which like resembles a number of ex-girlfriends in my life um so <laughs> we have a bit of real life crossover but also just rebecca hall has a very special look she gives where she just kind of drops her face but raises her eyes a little bit. And she's done this in many movies, and it does things to me that I enjoy. And she was originally supposed to have a much larger role in this movie. They paired it back. And, like, Maya Hansen's a fine character. I just wish there was more Rebecca Hall. And um, I fully support Tony being into her in the beginning. I understand that. Um... But unfortunately, she went the villain route and has one of the most questionable monologues in the movie where she starts talking about Nazi scientists and shooting for the stars. And it's not great. And um, that's when the horny corner crush loses me because I'm like, nah, brah. This, uh, yeah. It's some tough writing and some tough delivery. But other than that, Rebecca Hall is a beautiful woman. And she just I buy her as being brilliant. And uh, here we are, uh, though, again, I have reservations. Teddy is a uh, hoardy for hatred. <laughs> Jesus. 
Never forget that he killed Captain America. Stop! Are we ever? Am I ever gonna? Are we? You're just never gonna let that die. <laughs> Get it? Anyways, <laughs> ugh, you putting words into my mouth. God damn it! Badger. 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 Badge, guys. I put a memo in the toilet. Come on. Well, now that we've come back out of the depths of Teddy's psyche, we, uh, we've come to the close of our Iron Man 3 pod. So we've made it to phase two. That's exciting. We are working through the MCU. We, we're, we're no longer in the shallow end, one might say, of the Marvel movies. Um, but unfortunately, <laughs> next up is Thor the dark world and i'm not quite sure how we're gonna manage finding nice things to say about the movie so listeners be prepared it might just be a puddle of hatred but that puddle of hatred will include chris hemsworth and tom hiddleston so like i don't know maybe a puddle of hatred and then teddy's love for loki on yes. the side. <laughs> yeah. Thor the Dark World might be where Teddy just fully breaks bad and uh, <laughs> decides that she shall be the villainess of this podcast. But hard to say. Come back next week to find out and when we do Thor the Dark World. Badger. 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 Badger, guys. I put a memo in the toilet. Come on. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you liked what you heard or are interested in what else we do at Portland Film Review, make sure to head over to social media. You can find us on Instagram at Portland underscore film underscore review, on Twitter at Portland underscore film, on Facebook at Portland Film Review, and, of course, at our website, portlandfilmreview.com. If you really like this episode and want to make sure you don't miss any future PFR Weekly episodes or MCU and Review limited series shows, Go follow us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, wherever else you might listen. While you're there, give us a follow and maybe even a rating. We like to hear good things, but if you want to say something mean, at least make it creative.